This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Later this month, Chicago will celebrate Theater Week with hundreds of shows happening across the city for you to check out. And here on Reset, we're going to tell you about several shows that are featuring Black stories and performers. Here with me now is Marissa Lynn Ford, Executive Director of League of Chicago Theaters. Great to have you here in studio, Marissa. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. And I'm so excited to talk about all we have coming down down the road here. Absolutely. Also here, Ron O.J. Parson, Director of the play Tony Stone, which is currently showing at the Goodman Theater. Welcome back to Reset. Hey, it's Ron. great to be here. I'm going to start with you, Marissa. First of all, congratulations, because you were selected as Executive Director. This was back in September. Yes, yes. How's it going so far? It's great. You know, I I love theater. I love story sharing. Um, So it's a part of my mission, a part of the legacy I want to leave. And being able to do that across the city with all of our 200 member theaters that are part of the League of Chicago um, is just an amazing, amazing opportunity. So grateful, grateful to be here. Yeah. I mentioned Theater Week at the top, but I'd love for you to tell us a bit more. When is it and what's it all about? Uh, Chicago Theater Week is February 16th through the 26th. It gives people from every community an opportunity to see over 100 performances across the Chicago land and surrounding areas for discounted accessible pricing of $15, $30 or less. Um, so really, if you've had classics that you've wanted to see, if you have new stories or want to start new um, generational experiences, you can go to different neighborhoods, to the loop, to the suburbs, and see these shows for, um, you know, discounted pricing. Yeah. League of Chicago Theaters highlighted several productions for for Black History Month, and it was really cool just to see how many shows are being offered, as, as you mentioned. Just reflect a bit, Marissa, on the status of African-American and and black theater in Chicago right now? Yes. So um, it's it's great to be uh, sitting here uh, with Ron um, and and talk about the the story that he's going to talk about, too. But I think uh, there's a wonderful opportunity to uplift all of the playwrights that have come through Chicago, including um, Lorraine Hansberry. A Raisin in the Sun is going to be playing at uh, Beverly Arts Center. So. Um, Lorraine Hansberry, we've also had a great relationship with August Wilson, who's come through and done his uh, famous speech, The Ground, on on which we stand for the opening of the Goodman Theater. And so I think there's a lot of rich history and we know in performance for Chicago, for the artists, for playwrights and directors, and we want to continue to uplift those stories. Well, let's bring you in here, Ron. As Marissa brings up August Wilson, I remember the last time you and right. I spoke here on Reset. That was last summer. You were directing the play Two Trains Running at Court Theater. Now you've got this new show at the Goodman. Talk to us about Tony Stone and well, how you became interested. Well, you know, uh, Lydia Diamond, who was a friend of mine, uh, as Marissa said, there were a lot of there weren't a lot of uh, black theater when I first moved here about thirty years ago, and now it's just a plethora of theaters where you can go see good black stories. But Tony Stone, Lydia wrote that. Uh, a few years ago, and um, we had talked about it. I had never thought I was going to be directing it. She had called me because I was a baseball you know, athlete. And, and, I, and now I'll pause you there, Ron, because some people don't know who Tony Stone is. So tell us That's really That's really was. it, too. Tony Stone was the first woman to play professional baseball. She played with the Negro Leagues. In fact, I just found this out, though. She replaced Hank Aaron at second base. Uh, in the Negro Leagues. Wow. So, I had no idea. Yeah, oh, right. And, and, you know, so in the play, they talk about Jackie Robinson. We talk about, you know, she has uh, amalgamated uh, characters that are part of like Josh Gibson and, and Buck Leonard, uh, Buck O'Neill. And uh, so, so the play kind of 
capitalizes the Negro Leagues and what she did and how important she was to to that league and to just the sport itself. Why do you think Tony's story isn't as common knowledge as, say, Jackie Robinson? Well, you know, um, and, and I take this from Lydia, too. She she brought up the fact that, you know, the history wants to be, uh, you know, swiped out. African-American history wiped out. That's why the, you know, the new 1619 Project and stuff, people don't want to talk about it. But we had such a, a vivid uh, of uh, history in this country that you don't learn about growing up. And and as African-Americans, we didn't learn about it. I had never heard of Tony Stone and I'm a baseball. I was a baseball player. So that just, that was That's just, wild. that was wild. <laughs> and so Lydia, when she found that out, she said that too. And she, you know, we talked about it back when she first wrote it and it was done and it's been done a few places, but never in Chicago. And I always say, well, we do things in Chicago a little different. So we're going to, um, you know, We'll we'll do the Chicago premiere of it and tell that story because it's an important story that yeah. all people need to know, not just black people. I think everybody needs to know about her. What about you, Marissa? Had you known about Tony Stone before the production? Well, the uh, the fun thing uh, the fun thing about this is I was at Goodman previous right. to joining the league, so <laughs> oh, that's know, this, right. This production yeah. has been um, we've been talking about it since before the pandemic, right. and so it's yeah. been great to see it um, come forward. And I didn't know about. Um, her story prior to the production, but I've learned so much since then. And, and, and Lydia and I go way back. I yeah. had a theater company here called the Onyx Theater Ensemble, which uh, she was a founding member with me and Alfred Wilson and some other some other people. So we and, and Lydia was an actress then. It's so funny, but she became this prolific writer. And we had talked about this play, you know, back then. I like I said, I never thought I would be directing it. We just talked about. It. I was mm-hmm. actually part of the workshop as an actor in the when she first wrote it when she first put it together. Yeah. Tracy Bonner plays Tony in your production. Talk to us about how you casted her and what she's brought to that role. Well, Tracy uh, is an athlete. She was a Division I uh, softball player, and she played uh, on my team in the Chicago Theater League, the Chicago uh, Sports uh, Theater League softball uh, team. And so when she came to audition for me for something years ago, I saw in her resume because I was recruiting for my team. So I saw in her resume, Division One softball player, and I said, hey, we need somebody on our team and this and that. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I play. So, so, so. Can I audition now? I said, yeah. <laughs> okay. But she, she was a member of my softball team for years. So I knew she was you know, a very good baseball player. And that was one of the things I wanted to do with the play is make it more active and have sports, you know, uh, playing on stage. So so we're getting a lot of that. So it's a little different than mm-hmm. some of the productions of it. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we are highlighting some of the great theater that's currently showing and upcoming in Chicago. It's celebrating black stories and performers. With us here in studio is Marissa Lynn Ford, who's executive director of League of Chicago Theaters, and director Ron O.J. Parson as well. I want to bring another voice into the conversation. Joining us now is Robert Battle, who is artistic director for the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater Company. Thank you for being here, Robert. Well, thank you for having me. So Alvin Ailey returns to Chicago this March. I am super excited. Uh, I know that you will be premiering two new pieces, but I do want to start with you telling us about Are You In Your Feelings? Yes. And I'm not answering that. I know that's the title (laughs) of the piece. (laughs) But I'm often in my feelings. Uh, I know, me too. Certainly in my feelings about being in Chicago again at the Auditorium Theater. Uh, we're so excited to be back and to be presenting this particular new work by uh, 
wonderful choreographer, Kyle Abraham, who, amongst many accolades, is the MacArthur Genius Award winner. So, honoree. So he's really brilliant. And this work, I think, does this wonderful thing where it sort of crosses generations. We like to think of it as like a mixtape. You remember back in the day, the mixtape? Oh, yes. Uh, yes. And so you have uh, Kendrick Lamar, you have Drake, you also have the Flamingos, you know, I Only Have Eyes for You. You mm. have uh, Erica Badu, I'll Call You Back. You have these wonderful sort of intersections of the generations that I know people are going to really love. It's joyous, it's uplifting, it's a lot of fun, it brings back great memories. We even have Shirley Brown in that wonderful song, Woman to Woman, mm -hmm. where she confronts the other woman. Yes. <laughs> so it, it, it's just really, really soulful uh, and, and joyous. So Sounds we're really incredible. excited to present that. Tell, yeah. tell us about the choreographer, Kyle Abraham. What, what's his story? Kyle Abraham, he's just a brilliant choreographer. I've kind of watched him uh, develop over the years and, you know, when he was just starting out uh, and seeing him flourish. And what I love about his work, not only can he do work like the one that we're going to see that's a lot of fun, but he also does work that really probes uh, some of the social uh, issues of the day. The, one of the works he did for us a few years ago uh, was called Untitled America, and it was probing uh, mass incarceration. Uh, and so he's a deep brother, as we would say, uh, and a genius of a choreographer. So I keep bringing yeah. him back again and again. Yeah. Marissa, earlier in the show, we talked about bringing more diversity, equity, and inclusion to medical schools. Mm -hmm. I wonder for theater, do black actors, directors, and, and dramaturges, et cetera, do they have a clear path in this industry? I think it's something that we're continually trying to make headway in. We're trying to open up those doors and opportunities. Um, we have wonderful teaching artists and um, education directors for our stages that are trying to open up the pathways of what careers are available in the industry. So many people, um, they think of acting. They think of the actors on stage. Right. They don't think of the producers or uh, the stage managers, yeah. the people backstage. And to that end, I'm wondering what else the theater community could do to be more inclusive or get that word out, as you said. Absolutely. So we're um, working on how we, you know, create apprenticeships, create those learning opportunities that um, are accessible because they're paid and they provide, you know, living, thriving wages for um, people to come in and learn and get that hands-on experience and network. Um, we're also having the opportunities with job fairs and opportunities with backstage tours for people to come through and learn about the individual task and what they are. Um, I think a lot of theaters, especially after the um, murder of George Floyd, there was a conversation across um, the city and in corporate America, but theaters also had to have a deep conversation about what they were doing to open up the doors and the path um, for diverse individuals. Yeah, I bet. Robert, uh, the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater Company is also debuting another piece. This one's called In a Sentimental Mood. It's being choreographed by Jamar Roberts. Talk about that one. Yeah, Jamar Roberts was a dancer with the company for many years, brilliant dancer, and just turns out he's also a brilliant choreographer. So I made him the Ailey Company's first uh, resident choreographer, and he's done this beautiful duet that really probes um, love, right, in, in all of its sort of mystery. Um, it's, it, it's quite, quite, quite brilliant. 
his approach uh, to any subject matter is always unique. And I think that we have to remember that we love, right? That yeah. that's important, too, as we see works like another work that uh, Alvin Ailey created in 1986 uh, called Survivors. Uh, we have a new production of that. It hasn't been seen in over 30 years, but it is about the relationship between Winnie and Nelson Mandela. Talk about relationships. You know, and it's, it, it's wonderful because it takes place in the time that he was put in jail and given a life sentence. Yeah. Uh, at the time Alvin Ailey created this work in 1986, he did not know that someday he would be free 30 years later. But he was looking at the rage that we feel about that and also how it reflects what's happened in our own country. And I'm reminded when I see this work, Survivors, of something that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, that injustice anywhere yeah. is a threat to justice everywhere. And that's what this work reminds us of. You know, uh, while we have you here, Robert, we've been talking a lot about the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater Company, but just remind us about Alvin Ailey's life and impact. Yes, yes. Well, Alvin Ailey uh, was born in 1931, um, a single mother uh, in Rogers, Texas, uh, he witnessed some of the ails of segregation and the rest, uh, but he always remained curious, and his mother, uh, Mrs. Cooper, always made sure she nurtured his curiosity. Uh, eventually, he found his way uh, to dance uh, in uh, Los Angeles, where he met his mentor, Lester Horton, uh, and also somebody who's also a legend, Carmen de Lavalad, who encouraged him to dance. Eventually made his way to New York City. He was on Broadway in musicals. Uh, he was an actor on Broadway. Uh, and in 1958, he had this moment where he was thinking about not seeing the stories being told on the concert dance stage about his people and our contributions and our stories that help uh, make this fabric, this cultural fabric of this country. And so he founded... Uh, in 1958, on the cusp of the civil rights movement, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. And so we have been uh, going for more than 60 years, seen wow. all over the world. And that is incredible, incredible, coming from a dream from one black man. And here we are. And here I am, only the third artistic director after Alvin Ailey and the legendary Judith Samuelson. Well, thank you for checking in with us. That was Robert Battle, the artistic director for the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater Company. Still here is Marissa Lynn Ford, executive director of the League of Chicago Theaters, and Ron O.J. Parson, who is uh, director for the play Tony Stone, playing right now at Goodman Theater. I want to step back for a moment with you, Ron, um, because you've been a leader in this space in, in Chicago theater for a long time, for decades. How could how would you say that black theater has changed or evolved? Well, that's a good question. I think uh, what you were talking about just about dramaturgy. I mean, uh, I I have been into dramaturgy since I started in the theater, and a lot of people would always say, "What is that? Mm -hmm. What is a dramaturg?" And I couldn't find any black ones, you know. <laughs> uh, but in the last well, since I've been here, uh, Dr. Martine Green Rogers has been my dramaturg for years, and now she's the head of DePaul's theater program. But um, I think that is one one area that we we finding more and more uh, people finding out. And I used to do a, a program called Beyond the Stage. And in that program, I tried to introduce young black uh, artists 
to other elements besides being an actor. Because when you find, you know, acting is not your thing, a lot of people were like, well, what do I do now? And they get out of it. Yeah. But now some of the young young hip-hop music people can be sound designers. Uh, there's lighting designers apprentice. On my show at the Goodman now, one of our, our lighting assistants is a young black man who I, I found, and he's 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 been on my last three shows. Oh, that's so awesome. So I think that uh, it's opening up in that area, and then there's more black theater being done, not only at quote-unquote black theaters, but even the established theaters like like the Goodman. I think Goodman and Court, I've been at Court Theater for 17 years right. now, and I think we've really opened up the community to the fact that this theater on University of Chicago campus where nobody really was like, where is that? Now they know where it is. And we've done, we did a Arsenic and Old Lace, and we did, you know, Two Trains Running, as you said. I've mm-hmm. done several August Wilsons there. Uh, I'm getting ready to do my 31st August Wilson production at a, another theater. So I just think it's opened up young uh, people to the things that they can do in the theater if I'm not an actor. I can sound design, light design, costume design, set design. And I think that that's being helped by, you know, the people who are around me because I always say, well, you think you can nurture this young uh, artist? And, yeah. and they're all welcoming and doing it, especially what we're doing at Court Theater, which you know, and Goodman kind of led the way there. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my good friend who founded Onyx with me, Alfred Wilson, was a marketing director at the Goodman, the only black marketing director in the country at the time, I believe. And so we he, he got me here. That's how I got to Chicago. I love that. <laughs> nice. He said, man, I get your audition. <laughs> Boom. And so it changed the life, changed my your life. Your thoughts, Marissa, on, on just how black theater has evolved changed over time absolutely just going off of what ron said because ron actually when i first started in welcomed me into and i think it's about opening the doors but making a seat at the table as well not just a seat but giving the people voice as well um at that table and, and um giving them opportunities so i think we have a uh wide range of playwrights now mm-hmm. uh, in the Chicago community, playwrights that have gone on into and transitioned into TV and film. We see what's happened with the South Side and um, what's happened with the Chicago actors now that are able to cross over and be welcomed into even more opportunities with that production. So we have a lot of great talent here in Chicago that is thriving and they're supporting each other and they're helping each other. They're bringing each other on, as Ron said, to their productions and in the work that they're doing and making a real impact um, within their communities. I love that. Marissa Lynn Ford is executive director of the League of Chicago Theaters, and Ron O.J. Parson is director of the play Tony Stone. You can see that right now at Goodman Theater through February 26th. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, you can't be one for rules. Do you understand? Now listen up and pay attention because we fit in to put some things in motion. Well, I got the cards in my hand. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Flip pop shop into a gambling den. Start up a numbers game. What you're hearing is from a new opera commissioned by The Lyric here in Chicago. It's called The Factotum. It'll be debuting at the Harris Theater tomorrow, February 3rd. The opera is an adaptation of the classic The Barber of Seville. But in this version, it is receiving quite the remix. Here now to tell us all about this hip hopera is the director, dramaturge, and co-book writer, Rajendra Ramoon Maharaj. Great to have you on Reset. Nice to have you. Uh, so first, i got to ask, is hip hopera 
Is that a fair characterization? Do you hate the term or do you <laughs> embrace it? Listen, I embrace hip hop because hip hop is the elements of all the things that uh, come from the black experience and contribution to music. It's gospel, it's blues, it's rhythm, it's bebop. Um, and so it's a great moment in opera which for a very long time has historically bypassed people of color and hip hop mm -hmm. as one of the most influential art forms America's ever created. Um, so I'm very proud that we have this moment. You've been involved in many, many productions, but this is your first time directing an opera, right? I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> what were you thinking? I was like thinking, well, you know, um, to be perfectly honest, it uh, there were many times in my journey as a storyteller where it was it seemed like a very high wall. Uh, a very high white wall that I was not going to be able One to One that you scan, couldn't cross. That I could not cross. Mm -hmm. And I always think about that great quote from Harriet Tubman where she says, you know, I can look over the river and I can see all these beautiful white images of people dancing and singing, but I can't cross that river. I've been trying to cross that river. And this is the moment, I think, for many of us of color that we're crossing this river. You're crossing the river. I mentioned in the intro that this is an adaptation of The Barber of Seville. Remind us of that story. Yeah, and so it's the story of basically, you know, a barber and there's a soldier and there's a young ingenue and all of the things that could happen in a love story around the, a barber shop. Um, but what makes ours unique is that it is set in the south side of Chicago. And it is set in a time, in a space, um, in the summer of 2012, which a lot of things were happening in the movement. And so it really resonates. And, and I noticed before you were talking about August Wilson, and this opera, in a way like August, really uh, takes the average man and woman and makes them the kings and queens and the teachers mm -hmm. and the leaders in the culture of the barbershop, which is the center, like the black church I love that. of our community. Is that why you wanted to do this adaptation? Yes, yes. And Chicago, I mean, my God, the history of barbershops and how it connected to every movement in this country. Um, it's really exciting. And to see like all the characters that come into the barbershop throughout the day yeah. that make up the fabric of our community. Talk more about uh, how you connected with Will and your other collaborators. I know DJ King Rico yes. as well. Yes. Well, Will and I were doing Fire Shut Up in My Bones at the Met, which was another historic moment. Um, the first time the Met had ever produced a living African-American um, composer, Terrence Blanchard. And he was the star of it. And I was the assistant director. And we just befriended. Him. And on breaks, Will would be in the corner huddled working. And I'm like, you're going through this emotional show. And yet you're still working on something. Say, I'm working on this thing called the Factotum. And uh, through the theater gods, here we are today. So talk about that, the, the Factotum. I, I want to hear about that name because it loosely translates to master of everything or... Uh jack of all trades what are you implying with yeah. the title well because of because inherently black people people of color have given the world civilization we've always had to wear many hats you know in this production i'm the stage director the dramaturg you are know you? and and so we all kind of hustle and so we wanted to kind of honor in the barbershop culture that in black barbershop culture and particularly here in chicago people wear many hats to get their stuff done did you always want to find a way to bring hip-hop and R&B influences to opera? Absolutely. As a child of the 90s and just like, you know, coming up through that, <laughs> which I consider to be one of the greatest times of music. Isn't it, though? It is, girl. <laughs> and so I wanted to make sure that we could find a way. And, and Will and King, they love all forms of music, but particularly, you know, the Boys to Men, you know, and TLC. And so they brought a lot of that vibe to it with opera. 
Yeah. Um, so it's really exciting. I want you to help make the connection for people who still don't get it, because at first glance, you know, you, you see hip hop and opera. You might not think that that's an immediately obvious connection. What connections do you see between the two genres? Yeah, I mean, it's all about storytelling, right? And coming from an experience. So if you look at hip hop and you look at the civil rights songs and the blues and, and from even going back to slavery, the, the, the freedom songs, they're all telling the story of who we are. They're all rooted in the church. We're all rooted uh, in the church and the experience of, of the mixture of our experience and our history and our rhythms. And that's what this is bringing. And it's the first of its kind. Yeah. How else are you updating the story for these new audiences that you, you'll you'll draw in this time around? Well, one of the things that we're really cool about and excited about is that like we don't often get to explore in opera multi-dimensional black characters of our humanity. So we have queer characters. We have very, you know, we have immigrant characters from Africa. We have um, a love story between uh, uh a Mexican American female and a, a black man and how that plays out. Uh, we talk about the military. We talk about the movement and Black Lives Matter um, and just the continuing struggle to create community um, in the world. And Take me uh, into the conversations behind the scenes when you were deciding to weave all those things in. Uh, well, as a dramaturg, it was very long. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we always kind of rooted in the music because it is an opera. But it was um, one that we really wanted to make sure that not only um, that could entertain, but that black people could see themselves reflected as fully realized human beings. And we had our dress yesterday and it was incredible to see over a thousand, you know, BIPOC kids experiencing their first opera and seeing themselves and the people in their community reflected as heroes and sheroes. And it was just it was overwhelming. Oh my gosh. What did that look like? It was so moving. It was one of the most moving moments I've had in my career because we I was that kid that leaned forward, that had to sit in the cheap seats of life often. And so to be able to say that, no, you, you this is a path forward. This is a North Star. And your stories matter. And um, the people in your community matter. And um, it just really stirred us. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in. We're talking with Rajendra Ramoon Maharaj. He is the director and co uh, director for the new opera, rather, The Factotum. It'll debut tomorrow at the Harris Theater. I want to hear more about what drew you to opera. Yeah. Personally. Um, personally, what drew me is that, um, being perfectly honest, a lot of people told me that black directors don't work in opera. And I've always been a person that, that wall. That wall. And why can't I occupy that space if I can tell these different stories and knowing coming from the black church, we are opera, you know, it is very theatrical on Easter Sunday. Absolutely. And, and coming from a Caribbean background, you know, we have Junkanoo, we have Carnival mm -hmm. and, you know, there is a theatricality to us as a people. So I always felt like I could occupy this space and fire opened the door. And once the door was opened, the talent always shines. Here's something else you said on this. This was in an interview with the lyric. You said, quote, the truth is black people have ignored opera for far too long because opera has ignored us. Yes. Yeah. You think the factotum is, is representing maybe a shift in the opera world? Absolutely. I mean, I think because of the way the city of Chicago has embraced it, um, particularly people of color, yeah. many will have their first experience like those kids did of opera. Um, I think it's what, you know, that quote I lifted from one of my heroes, Lorraine Hansberry, because she when talked about Raisin in the Sun, for yeah. they had ignored Broadway until they saw Raisin. 
and we know what Raisin has meant for the world oh, yeah. and for Chicago. And, and so I think Factotum hopefully will continue that legacy in the world of opera. Yeah, and this shift that we're talking about, this is happening, as you talked about, among the performers, but the audiences too. Right? This is opening up uh, witnesses to just an entirely new thing, right? Yeah. People who have been used to seeing opera for decades haven't quite seen it like this. And also just black and brown bodies in the south side of Chicago, folks who work in the barbershops, folks who find the barbershops are coming to see themselves reflected. And for the first time, many who have been here for years and years have never walked into Chicago Lyric Mm -hmm. are now coming. The barbershop is such such an important place (laughs) for for, for black people. Such an important place for our community. So, So many things are shared there. Just a magical place. Yeah, and it, it's beautiful. I because love that it's coming to stage. Barber slash beauty shop. So you've got both the oh, vibes, yes. you know. All the secrets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think for some people too, just thinking of the opera over time, and I'm and by some people, I'm even talking about myself. It's felt pretty intimidating at times. Um, there's a lot of lingo, a lot of new lingo, right? Um, oftentimes, it's it's in a different language yeah. too. What is your pitch? Rajendra, for, for people of all backgrounds, why should they give opera a shot? That's a fantastic question, and I appreciate it. And I will say that I think that um, because it reflects the grandness of what we love from Hollywood and the beauty and the intimacy that we love from the theater, and it's some of the most most beautiful, powerful singers in the world come from opera. And, um, and particularly with Factotum, the Factotum, there is literally something in the show. If you've never seen an opera, if you are like the most jaded person that you're like, Oh my God, that's my uncle. Oh my God, that's my auntie. Oh, I had that experience. And so there is a, a wide um, kind of uh, entry point for folks to come into the world and see themselves reflected. You struck me earlier when you talked about how you're wearing all the different hats, (laughs) you're doing this role and that role and that role. What's on your theater bucket list? Uh, well, um, I would like to eventually um, start to look at the canon from August. I met Mr. Wilson uh, when I was younger, and he became a mentor and encouraged me to write. Um, but I've always felt that his work, you need to have a certain life experience to bring to it. Oh, yeah. And I feel like I'm at that point now where I'm able to do that. And I'd like to continue to see the next generation of BIPOC directors look at opera, look at Broadway, and you know, not lose them to film and television. What do you hope folks take away from the factotum? That um, our community is strong, that we um, inherently, with all the things that are happening in the world today, um, some terrible things that are happening in the world today, the barbershop really creates a hamlet where people can uh, be seen and know that their stories matter and that their lives matter. That was Rajendra Ramoon Maharaj, who's director and uh, director of The Factotum, a new opera from the Lyric, and it's debuting tomorrow, February 3rd, at the Harris Theater. Good luck. Thank, Thank you, you so much for coming in. Thank you so much.